0: Excited to welcome Japan's national men's team head coach, Tom Hovas, to the basketball podcast. Junior's career as head coach of the Japanese women's basketball team, Tom did what no one thought possible, leading the team to silver at the Tokyo Olympic Games. Tom is now channeling his skills into coaching the Japanese men's team. Tom played college basketball at Penn State and played professionally from 1989 to 2001, including a brief stint with the Atlanta Hawks and 10 seasons for teams in Japan. He also served as assistant coach to the Japanese national team in the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, where the Japan team made it as far as the quarterfinals. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate being on. Well, it's it's exciting. I mean, I've wanted to talk to you for a while, and uh, the success is tremendous. And uh, one of the things—I mean, this is a compliment. After okay. watching your team play, the style seemed obvious, and <laughs> I, I know, like, it's a compliment to your coaching staff. The fact no. that you made it look so obvious that that's the way you should be playing, and that's the way the women's team was going to have success.
1: Yeah, there a lot went into that. The preparations for uh, the Tokyo Olympics really began five years previous when I was an assistant coach at Rio. And there were times when we played up-tempo, up, up, up tempo, but we always had either f- four-out, one-in, or three-out, two-in. And I learned from that I really wanted to go five-out. It was five, six years ago where analytics was definitely uh, – a part of the nba but it really hadn't trickled down to the women's side yet and i felt if we went all in and committed to that concept and that style i think we could have really have an impact on the women's side so that's where we that's where it started and when i say full commitment it it took two two years for me to get like fully committed into this five out uh, system uh, because it is a commitment. No doubt about it. If you're 50-50, it's not gonna work. 70-30 is not gonna, you gotta be committed to this thing.
0: So you say that because the women's game is still very much dominated by a post, potentially, right? Yeah.
1: So I I really uh, I told my team, I'm like the the American women, Australia, China, they're playing 1980s basketball. It's just power. Inside basketball, whereas we don't have that power, obviously, but we do have the quickness. We have shooters. We we can we can utilize the space and create a tempo. And the players bought in, and uh, it was it was a fun it was a fun run up until the final game.
0: So you mentioned analytics, and that was an influence. Where were some of your other influences in terms of this style and learning how to adapt a five out system?
1: Well, it's kind of funny. After the Olympics, somebody forwarded me a link, and it was uh, Jeff Van Gundy. He had said that watching the Japanese women basketball team was like a baby of the Houston Rockets and Golden State Warriors. <laughs> and it's he was spot on because I, I really love – this was obviously three, four years ago where Golden State was number one in score. Golden State and Houston actually had the same efficiency. They were the, they were the leading scorers in the NBA, but they went about it completely different. Golden State was the had the most passes in 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 the league. Uh, Houston had the least amount of passes. Houston had the 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 most amount of on ball screens. Golden State had the least amount. I loved the passing use of space of Golden State movement, backdoor cuts, uh, but I also loved the spacing of the Houston Rockets and how they just planted people in the corners and and dared you if you're going to come off of them leave the shooter open then we're going to shoot. So it was really those two teams influenced me quite a bit.
0: Well, and what I love about watching your team play in the Olympics and some of the pre-qualifications was, is that you, you did mirror a lot of what Houston did in the sense that you got direct and right to the point instead yeah. of a lot of masking actions, which are a characteristic of a lot of European basketball, for example, you know, yeah. just a lot of direct action, right?
1: Pretty much. We, we do try to mask certain things. I felt... What happened in the Olympics after, you know, when you're in a tournament and you're playing that many games in front of your competition, they they have a chance to scout you. Towards the end of the tournament, uh, America, for example, they just switched everything. And they really turned us into almost a one-dimensional team. And that's something that we're still battling to this point. On the men's side, teams that completely switch everything and they have the advantage on size and length, how do you attack that? So it was teams that didn't switch, we really we really uh, attacked and we got to the paint and we were able to play our game. but when when teams are switching and they have the size advantage, it's finishing in the paint. it's it's secondary cuts. Um, how do you how do you utilize those types of things? So it did look a little bit more direct than what we wanted in the Olympics. Um, but we really we really wanted to work the ball and and get some movement, and then attack is kind of our philosophy,
0: and we'll dive into some of that movement and some of the I mean, just a great basketball to watch. But, you know, you talk about the USA game in particular, and that's where there were a number of boomerangs and attempts to be able to obviously attack the big matchups, create space for speed and try and drive that matchup. But uh, yeah. you know, talk a little bit about the advantage of that and the challenges of that because you search for this uh, new method potentially well, so,
1: to be perfectly honest with you, uh Rui Machida, who had an unbelievable tournament, went on believable. Um, she wasn't, in my mind, she wasn't going to be my starting point guard. It was, it was Motohashi who in 2019 was the MVP of Asia. She, she's a scoring point guard. She can pass, she can finish, she can shoot the three. Uh she tore her ACL seven months before the Olympics. So she really battled hard and rehabbed, and she became my backup point guard. But I for five out to really win you an Olympics, I think the point guard needs to score. I think you really have to put pressure on the defense from every single position. And America's uh cuz we played them in group play and we we actually played them pretty tight in group play. Um and they they made adjustments for the championship game and they they sagged off of Machida and she couldn't get into the paint and they were denying our shooters. So what, what I did was I when, when I stuck Motahashi in, she just she just lit it up. So she went, I think she was four for five from three. She had 16 points. She was our leading scorer because she's a point guard that can score. And I think if she was if she was healthy, I don't know, I don't think uh, America could have played that defense that they played because they would have been they would have had a hard time containing her.
0: Well, that's interesting because the blueprint to stop a five-out like yours is obviously to not help and to switch right. everything. And right. uh, you know, America was one of the few teams that did it or could do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. With, I mean, you've got Asia Wilson who can move her feet. She's long. Um, Brianna Stewart was playing the three spot, super long, can move her feet, uh, and Brittany Griner. So one of one of the one of the the big plays that stuck out in my mind was Motahashi when in the first quarter she drove and she did a reverse over Brittany Griner and Motahashi's 5-2. Mm-hmm. But that's the type of uh, you know, scoring that she can do in the paint. So I think it's really uh, important to attack from that point guard spot to really uh, try to get them out of that defense.
0: Well, I love talking five out, and obviously, so many coaches are fascinated by it. And uh, you know, we see in the NBA the spacing is just different, right? So it doesn't necessarily always apply to other levels. So right. one of the challenges at the FIBA and below levels are creating gaps to be able to <clears throat> attack. So can you talk about different ways that you try to create gaps?
1: Yeah. Well, we're, we're we always try to create uh, double gap drives mm-hmm. and. One of the best way to do that, we we call it slot cuts, where it's from the forty five, from the free throw line, extend. Everybody's running it, and and when you you mentioned masking earlier, that cut is kind of a masking element where you you cut, you get the defense moving, and then if you can bring it to the other side and do something, uh, get create more cutting and more movement, and then create your double gap drive, your, your double gap scenario. I think it's a lot more effective, so. Initial movements to try to create a double gap, defenses are pretty hip to that, and they, they can uh, they can figure that out pretty quickly. I think it's, it's getting teams a little bit deeper into the shot clock, maybe left to right on the court, possibly doing some, we call it Euro or uh, grenade action out of the low post, trying to create different angles and uh, variations on how to attack that.
0: So, when you do have cutters, was it a question of after the cut, are they getting into space, then getting out to space as pos- as fast as possible?
1: Oh yeah, we're clear. We're, we want that. We want that paint clear. So, a lot of our stuff, and I practice this every day, is driving, kicking, uh, shooter relocations, getting uh, if there's an empty spot, spring to that empty spot. So. We have to be just a little bit more on point because of our deficiencies in size and we have to be more on point. We have to be more movement as a, just a team in general and things have to be quicker. We really have to speed stuff up and that's kind of where we we practice fast and try to play fast.
0: Yeah, and you did. And it was so fun to watch. So thank you. And, uh, you know, yeah. just with that, when they did sprint out to space, I'm curious because I've seen it with some other Asian teams that they try and bring the ball back to the player sprinting out because a help side defender's tendency is that to relax a second, right? Because the ball's right. away from them. Now they're cutting out with such speed that you bring the ball back to them. Was that a point of emphasis?
1: Well, are you talking attacking, uh, attacking closeouts and trying to get-
0: Well, just after someone penetrates and kicks, when they get out to space then, are you trying to bring it back to them or was that- So,
1: again, I, I bring it back to Golden State. Their shooter re- relocation. How if if Stephen Curry, uh, Curry drives, kicks it out, he'll lull this man to sleep and then bust out to try to get a shot. That's something we work on, not mm-hmm. with all of our players. So
0: that's what I meant. Yes, that.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's definitely part of 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 our our system is is trying to get uh, we try to put pressure on. A team every second, every second we can, every every chance we can, and some of that is change of pace, uh, you know, busting out, trying to get trying to get an open shot. Yeah, so that definitely is part of our thought process.
0: Well, that Golden State example is a perfect one with Steph Curry that they bring it back to him with with action. And uh, another thing that I saw, and I don't know if it was like intentional all the time, but uh, really out of transition. I thought you did a great job creating a lot of gaps in transition where you would 45 cut from transition. Was that a deliberate action or was that a play call or was that just a read decision?
1: Uh, So with with the women's team, we had so much prep time. I had five different uh, transition sets. And we would change it during a game. We would change it uh, depending on uh, what the other team is running. Uh, So we had several different options out of that. With the men's, I really simplified it. We don't have the practice time that we had with the women. So I've simplified it, and we are doing uh, some of that split, uh, some of that uh, slot cut action in transition. I think, you know, before the defense gets set, keeping them on their heels and trying to apply pressure that way. Yeah. So some of that definitely is
0: Yeah, it was really good to watch. I'm glad you're doing it with the men's team. I haven't had a chance to watch your men's team yet. But, uh, um, you know, the other part that uh, goes with that is is just play calling in general. And I think you referenced this in a few articles that uh, you did have a lot of little set quick actions after you modeled after the NBA, right? So I'm curious, what type of play calling system did you devise to be able to call those plays as quickly?
1: So I'm I'm terrible at calling plays. I've had, uh, I didn't want to be like the NBA where... Um, I try to disguise it as much as possible. We used a lot of Japanese terms. I would create a Japanese name and the girls would laugh at me and we'd change it and, and do whatever. But for the women, again, for the women's, we had so much time to prepare and I really probably went a little bit overboard on some of the we had probably yeah, we had over 100 sets and different things and all the players knew it back, front and back, but, it's not realistic to do that on the men's side typically for these feeble windows we only have 10 days of practice before or not even 10 days uh, about a week of practice and then we play the game so i've really just simplified it on the men's side to entry actions and then it's read and react and you guys have to you know they have to figure it out but we, we do have certain team rules which which are vital to what we do the one of the biggest things that I learned going through that Olympic experience was giving roles to players, clear, clear cut roles. I'm to the point where I don't know if you remember Hayashi. She was a, she was one of our shooters. Basically I said, your role is to three point shoot. So if you shoot 10 times, I want, I want nine of those to be threes. So in her mind, she's like, man, I just, I just have to pop and get open and and shoot threes and she doesn't have to drop. If she gets it, the shot's not there. She might be able to drive, but more, 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 more than often, she would just she would just pass it. So I create these, uh, try to create the a clear, simple role for every player. And they have to know their teammates' roles. So once you know your role and your teammate and your teammates' roles, then it starts to become this fluid, connected uh team where. If, if there's a big uh, five man in the corner and let's say our point guard drives, kicks it out, well, that big is looking to pin, pin the three and he's in uh, or pin the pin the point guard and the point guard's looking to pop to get to get a shot or get the ball in space. So that's kind of something that I really started focusing in on, especially after the Olympics and on this men's team as well.
0: It strikes me about one of the values of that is that you're giving them freedom from choice. So it actually gives them more permission and freedom to do what they're good at, right?
1: Yes. And and there's no confusion. Mm. There's there's no ah, second guessing. Should I shoot this? I get mad if they don't shoot. And that's one through five. So if you're not if we're not putting pressure on the defense at every single position, guess what? If we're playing Australia, Thonmaker can just sit in the paint. And that's that's a killer for a five out system to have a seven footer standing in the paint where we can't finish in the paint. So everybody's got to be option one. And that's another thing that I make sure that these players know all all these teams, all all my players are from the B league now on the men's side. And to be honest with you, most of them are option three or option four because they have foreign players in their spots. And when they get that mindset where I've got to pass it to the low post or I've got to get it, this foreign player they they become a non-aggressive and when they come to the national team that's one of the first things that i preach forget what you do on your b league team on this team everybody is option one and you have to attack when 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 you're open you have to shoot when you're open depending on your role if you're a shooter or or penetrator and that's one of the things that we really work hard on to change. And, and we have changed that in this past year.
0: Well, I do want to get into mindset quite a bit with you because I know that's been part of your success in building the relationships. Um, and just before we do, maybe let's stick with the five out if you don't mind. Sure. The one thing the the three side kind of overload spacing when you're driving middle seems to be another common discussion point for five out. And what the reaction is, it seemed like you cut the corner on uh middle drives when there's a three side or was that uh again a read
1: what do you mean i cut the corner
0: so the the, the low corner oh, well the low to, corner cuts yeah to make it to make it uh <laughs> you know to balance the spacing so to speak because there's three on a side
1: um, No, again that depends on what players in the corner and the role of that player if it's a knock dead shooter they're gonna they're just gonna stick to that shooter and the defend the, the defender's not going to sag in
0: Cutters cut, and shooters hold
1: but we we do have a role and it's our secondary cutting, so if we're always we're always watching our defender's head. if they looked at the ball, you, you always have a green light to cut, but per role and and our point guards know this if if our knock dead shooter's in the corners, she's probably not going to cut, but if it's our two man who's a little bit lengthy and long she you know, she has the right to cut. So, but that's something we practice all the time. And it's a feel guarding that is, is, is really difficult to guard if it's done properly in, in its time right.
0: Well, I love it because again, it creates a, you know, there's a spacing <laughs> template, but within that template, there's a whole bunch of decisions that make yeah. it not, not predictable in any way. Right.
1: So that's, that was something I was very pleased with, uh, at the Olympics. So, Diana Taurasi, I, I, I coached her back in 2012. I was uh, a volunteer assistant coach with Phoenix Mercury for a year and a half, season and a half. And I got to know her a little bit. But after the Olympics, right after our championship game, she came up to me and she said, man, you guys are so hard to guard. We don't know what you're going to do. And I, and I told her, I was like, that's because we don't know what we're going to do. We, we're, we're reading and reacting to what you guys are doing. And she said it was one of the most difficult things for them in scouting because there was no template there was no sets and there was no set plays and for a national team coach or national teams in general you have these tournaments where like i said earlier you're playing five to seven games in front of your who who you could possibly be playing against next and it can't be it can't be sets you just can't you can't you can't run sets because they'll defend it they'll scout it and they'll stop it so for me it's all about putting the right players in the right position and having those players make the right
0: decisions well and more often than not they did and uh, you know the part that made you guys less predictable was uh you know the the go screens the slips the rolls and then the follow screens or the rescreens that's what I loved seeing is like sometimes it was a rescreen sometimes it was someone else following with a screen and it was just made it really hard to guard I imagine
1: yeah, yeah, and, and the defender doesn't know where, where it's coming, what's coming next. And yeah, we had we had so on that team, the the women's team, and I don't think she gets enough uh publicity, but my captain of the team was Takata. She was my five man, and she's an undersized five man, six one. And but she's very strong. She can defend. To me, she was very much uh like Draymond Green. So her role was pretty much Draymond Green's, but she could shoot the three. So she was a great decision maker. She knew what her role was. She knew when to screen, where to screen, angles, and she could pick and pop. So she, was, uh, she shot 53% from three in the Olympics. And she was putting up, I think, four, four shots a game. And that was, that was a killer when you have a five man who, who, can, who knows the game, high IQ, can pass, but she can also shoot and stretch the defense that that was complete key for us.
0: And how did you get her or some of the other players that set the on the ball screens or on the ball actions to balance between, you know, again, ghosting it versus setting it and rolling it? Because again, it seemed to be very difficult to decide what they were going to do.
1: Some of that was scouting. So America liked to switch a lot, so we when teams switched, we we tried to do a lot of ghost actions. And if if teams started going under our point, uh, going under Rui Machida, then it would be a, a screen, rescreen scenario, trying to get her going downhill a little bit. So some of that was scouting, a lot of it was again just the player decision making, and that was based off of months of prep.
0: It was great. And I I think everyone can picture if they haven't watched your team, when they go watch it, they'll see kind of the blend of the Houston Rockets and a little bit of Golden State. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's really obvious when you said both those, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Jeff Van Gundy, when he said that, he he blew my mind because I spent two years preaching that to my players. And when he, when he said that, I was like, man, there's a reason that guy's where he's at right now so he's he's a pretty smart guy
0: i think recently you spent some time with golden state as well so did that add uh some extra little tricks to your uh, bag
1: uh yeah so golden state came uh they came to tokyo for the the nba games uh last month and yeah they they didn't they didn't really have long practices it was more right. of kind of shoot around getting getting their feet on the ground after a long flight but I had a good chance to talk with Steve Kerr. We talked for about fifteen minutes after after his practice, and he he was he was very complimentary as well. He he said, "I love what you guys did in, in Tokyo," and I said, "Well, you should because it was your it was mostly your stuff." And he and he said uh, he said, "You know, I thought I saw some similar stuff there." <laughs> so it was it was it was a fun conversation.
0: Hey, coach! A brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about basketballimmersion.com. Get the most out of yourself and your players. Since 2014, thousands and thousands of coaches have become members of our community. We would love for you to join too, but don't just take our word for it. Listen to what a recent new member told us. I subscribed to Basketball Immersion on Monday. What an awesome site. Beats the crap out of Netflix. And here's what a long-term member told us. BDT and Eliminating the Fluff has been the reason we have become successful as a program. A Basketball Immersion membership has been our secret weapon what are you waiting for it's time to next level your players and team join our membership community at www.basketballimmersion.com we look forward to sharing everything with you uh that's a heck of a compliment for sure and uh yeah. it's fun to watch you do some of the similar stuff with the men's team and before we shift mm-hmm. a little bit uh i again i may be wrong it seemed like at times some players were using the tagging up concept of getting on, on the high side on offensive rebounding was that was that deliberate? Uh, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah, but not all players did it all the time, right? It wasn't a complete five players. Well, are you, you're talking women's team, huh? The women's team, yeah. I, I okay, so women's,
1: no, women's team. I wasn't implementing tagging up at that time, and I learned from the Olympics. So part of part of the image and aura that we created on the women's side. Was transition. We're, we'll we'll kill you in transition. We we want to we want to go fast. We want to go hard. So a lot of teams stop crashing the boards. They started. They stop crashing boards. So they get back on defense. So, but for us on the offensive, we knew we had to uh, increase our possessions. I'm always about increasing possessions. Uh, whether that be through steals, uh, offensive rebounds, or two for one opportunities, I'm very aggressive in, in that. Again, full commitment, right? Points per possession, analytic basketball. You want to you want to raise as much as you can. Uh, on the women's side, we were very aggressive on getting offensive rebounds, and I and I left that. Even as a player, I didn't like a coach saying, "If you're below the free throw line on the weak side, you have to go." I hated that.
0: Right. I as you a, wanted clarity that, you, and you wanted freedom to be able to go do I it. I wanted
1: freedom. I, if I felt like I had a chance to get that rebound, I'm going to go for it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give that to the players, and I didn't say only three can go to the offensive rebound. Only two. I didn't. I don't like that either because now people are trying to think: should I go or not? So I was very aggressive and open and and free with our offensive rebounding. we that was one of the points where we had to. To to beat bigger teams, we have to do certain things like that.
0: I was just going to say, with it, it seemed to buy, play into you being able to put pressure on the ball full court too, right?
1: Correct, correct. What what hurt, and I learned this um, at the Olympics was our transition defense. We were getting we were getting beat. Uh, we gave up a lot of points in transition, which again, that's a double edged sword as well. We could not be aggressive on the offensive rebounds, come back and slow the game down or be aggressive on the rebounds. Okay, they come in and they get it. They get 2 we're getting the ball right back in and we're going at them again. So the pace is picking up and that's something that we wanted to do. Uh,
0: David Arsenault and Grinnell somewhere are kind of nodding their head.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. And so that that's as a team that's small, you have to do that. You're going to give up, you're going to give up buckets under the rim, but they have to get back 94 feet to pick you up and stop you. So there's give and take with that. Uh, but on the men's side, uh, I I didn't, I felt like we had to shore up our transition defense and try this offensive rebounding system. So I started implementing the tagging up on the men's team and it, it hasn't increased our offensive rebounds it hasn't it, it's it hasn't hurt it it just hasn't increased it it has completely changed our transition defense our transition we we were giving up i want to say in the olympics 16 to, uh on the men's team they were giving up 16 18 20 points in transition and when i started on the men's side we were giving up 16 18 points in transition and now it's. the Asia cup, I think it was down to four Hmm. tagged up, stopped it, stopped. uh, We were matched up properly. So there's definitely some, some good things from
0: that. Yeah. And I think if you talk to Aaron Fern, I mean, obviously it's called an offensive rebounding system, but really he makes sure you understand it's a defensive transition system. And uh, I think most coaches that have used it now do see that value of that more than anything.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I've, I, I've done it, uh, uh, for the last four windows. So we've, we've done it. Uh, we've had, we've, we've got some data now to back things up because it was new to me when I started on the men's side and I wasn't sure about it, but I'm definitely going to continue using it.
0: It's great. I mean, fun to watch. And, uh, you know, you referenced mindset a few times here and, uh, maybe start with the mindset for the women's team first and becoming a, a fearless team that puts up a lot of three point shots—is is that a hard sell?
1: No. So the when I I mentioned I was the assistant coach at Rio, and when they asked me to be the head coach uh, in 2017, that was the thing I wanted to change the most. So changing their mindset—I felt like we were a top four team in Rio, but the team was happy to be in eighth place. I couldn't understand that, and I felt like we were good enough to be there but mentally we weren't and i felt like we needed a solid goal and we needed to change our mindset so when i at my press conference uh when i became head coach of the women's team i said we're going to play america in the in the championship game in the tokyo olympics and we're going to win gold medal that was my goal very clear very specific very high goal and nobody really believed me they were laughing but i believed and the players believed so i went Per you know, I asked every player, "Do you believe in this goal?" Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so everybody's committed. Now we have the goal set. So how do you change their mindset? How do you how do you go from uh, being a, a little wishy-washy on what we're going to do to being rock solid on focus on that goal and how do we attain that goal? And for me, it was always challenging the players practicing harder than any other country in the world. And that was kind of, that became our bedrock. It was even before the championship game or the or the semifinals against France. It's, have they practiced harder than us? No. Okay. Are they a better team than us? No. So we believed 100% in what we were doing. And it was clear once the players bought in, I mean, they bought in right from the beginning, but it was it works on so many different levels. So if you have a bad practice, I would I would ask the captain in front of everybody, Captain, is this practice gonna get us to the gold the gold medal in the Olympics? And she's like, No. I'm like, okay. So we have to change and we have to bring it. We have to raise this standard. This is not enough. And it was it the players realized it, and it wasn't just me uh barking orders, it was the players 100 percent bought in to the point where after after the championship game when we lost uh, against Team USA, who had won fifty-five games in a row in the Olympics, we were shocked. That's how confident we were that we were gonna that we were gonna win. We were shocked. Tears. It was. It, was, it wasn't supposed to end that way for us. That's how that's how bought in everybody was.
0: That's great. I mean, you either win or you yeah. cry afterwards. That's the epitome of that, isn't it? That yeah. Way.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was it was an amazing.
0: It was an amazing ride. No, oh, it was incredible. It was so much fun to watch. And you, yeah. you referenced a few things there. And you mentioned uh, I read some of the articles you talked about that like the Japanese women's players, for example, putting in long hours was not a foreign thing, right? It was kind of part of the culture yeah. of the game. But what you yeah. were trying to do is to get them to see beyond just putting in long hours and making it more beneficial.
1: Yeah, so the women here just, and this isn't the this isn't isn't just the national team. I'll give you it's every single team in the league. I'll just give you a, a daily breakdown of what they do. Six thirty shooting in the morning. It's voluntary shooting, but everybody does it. Eight o'clock breakfast. Uh, Ten to eleven thirty or twelve practice in the morning. I, I don't use contact. It's more five on zero getting. Uh, getting our spacing done, getting up and down a little bit, uh, working on new plays, and then they'll lift weights. Lunch from 12:30 or 1. We'll start practice at 3:30 in the afternoon, and that'll be two hours. That's full contact, full practice. So 3:30 to 5:30. After practice, the girls will typically shoot for about an hour. So from 5:30, and they'll they'll shoot for, until 6 37 Eat dinner and then go to bed and start the day again. That's every day. And That's what we do. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's the culture. It's the basketball culture, uh, which it has its positives and minuses. I think injuries are something a little burnout at times, but it really creates a team of gym rats. It's crazy. I try to get them out of the gym.
0: I was going to ask you about that because sometimes there's that point of diminishing returns and especially in the yeah. mod, you talked about uh, analytics and we talked about workload management being part of modern basketball as well. So I'm imagining well, you're monitoring workloads a little bit, too.
1: No, so so no. what I was again, this is um, I'm, try, I'm I want to try to answer your question previous,
0: which was well, it's just talking about the difference between long hours and being productive. Okay.
1: So yeah, yeah, exactly. So what I tried to do was uh, I actually cut down the hours a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it was much more focused, uh, much more attentive to details. And and it was, it was more efficient, I thought, and it was focused on getting to our goal. Uh, In terms of workload management, this is again you're 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 riding you're riding on the edge. It's the razor's edge. So, before the 2018 World Cup, I had the opportunity to speak with uh, Canada, Australia, USA's director of development, and, and different people within their countries, and I was shocked. They they have doctors involved, psychologists, to create the perfect amount of practice time, hour and a half, and they don't use typically go over an hour and a half and everything's that way. And to be honest with you, I'm listening to this and I'm just like, well, this is our opportunity because we're gonna go harder than that. We're gonna go further than that. And that's our, that's our advantage, without a doubt. And that's the advantage of a lot of Asian countries. China, for example, I, I guarantee you that they don't practice an hour and a half.
0: <laughs> and they don't practice once a day.
1: No, no, they're practicing twice a day. Uh, it, it again. It's it's. I think America can get away with it mm-hmm. because of their talent level and talent pool. I thought Australia couldn't get away with it. I don't think, and 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 that was proven correct because they 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 went down a little bit once they started doing that. I think. Um, I don't think they're as deep as America, Canada. I think had the same thing. So. You know, just because America does it doesn't mean it's right.
0: No, and generally it's not if you're trying to compete against America, is it?
1: Exactly. So that was my whole that was that was another mindset. If we want to beat America and we practice like America, we're going to lose 100 times out of 100 times. Well, and so, play
0: their style and do all yeah. these other things, right? Yeah, so we had
1: to do everything opposite. And yeah, that's that was that was what we do and
0: how we did it. So my experience with Asian countries, have had a few, and, and uh, you said this in an article, so it leads into this part of the conversation, which is that one of the strengths and one of the weaknesses is, is that there's an, this adherence to the rules, that they, they, they do like structure and they follow structure, but yeah. your goal almost is to make them less structured after they get structured. And it's this kind of dichotomy that goes back and forth, isn't it, a little bit? And that's really yeah. the beauty of what you did, I feel, is you yeah, got uh, them to play free.
1: Yeah, I think I think that was a big part of it as well. The, the the players were amazing. I I would I would it'd be hard pressed for me to find a coach who had a, a better group of players in terms of do this and they'll do it. Do this and they'll do it. And then a year, year and a half before the Olympics, I started getting um it was more. I need your decision. Your decision making is is key to this, and I think the players just really love that, and they really blossomed. I felt, but you have you have to have you have to have that um, foundation of fundamentals. You have to have that foundation of what the team is, the team rules, and the team concepts, and knowing your roles, knowing your knowing your role, the team's roles, um, believing in it. And belief is not just uh, it's not a it's not a shallow thing. Belief is a deep, deep, deep concept. And you can tell when people believe in something with their heart. And uh, you can tell people who don't believe with their heart.
0: A lot of unseen hours to get to that point, I know. And uh, again, tremendous to watch. And you you referenced the men's team and now focus on that a little bit. I mean, you don't have the same opportunity in terms of having them together as long and some of the different things. Can you reference some of the other challenges on the men's side that maybe didn't exist for the women's side?
1: Yeah, a lot of it's off the court in terms of the B-League. Uh, the B-League here uh, has 60 regular season games. Um, the champions of the B-League typically play with playoffs and everything, close to 90 games. So Japan plays the second amount of games, second only to the NBA. And again, the talent level not there. So I'm getting these players for my window and they're right in the middle of their season. They're tired. It's, it's just a different mindset. So a lot of that stuff, a lot of the, the differences are off court. I was happy to find that the, the men are just as focused once we get on the court and just as committed to what we're doing. So that was, that was phenomenal to me. I cut down a little bit uh, some of the practice times just because of their schedules and uh, things like that. But basketball is basketball. I I really I the so some of the major changes I I made were more getting away from the sets, getting into uh, a set amount of entries, and then five out basketball, and and getting our team rules in there and making sure they know their roles. And once they got that, man. We started rolling a little bit in the Asia Cup. We 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 lost to Iran and we lost to Australia, two very good teams. The, and they had two centers, seven foot centers that clogged up the paint. That gave us some problems. Okay. But we played five games and we averaged 96 points a game. We led we led the tournament, the Asia Cup, in scoring. We shot 41 threes a game and we made 41% of the threes. Uh, we shot 52% from two. Uh, we shot 81% from the free throw line. And we everything that we were working on improving, improved. And the players got it. And during the summer, we had window three. A week and a half later, we had Asia Cup. And then two weeks later, we had window four. And I had four
0: completely different teams. I was going to ask you work. about that because roster fluctuates so much with these FIBA windows.
1: Yeah. Lines. I had 40, uh, 42 players. Wow! In, in those in those windows. So I, that was one of the things I was gonna, I was uh, most happy about was it didn't we didn't have to start from scratch. We I, I would have a couple players retained from let's say window three to the Asia Cup, and they they were the drivers, and we just kept getting better and better. So simplified simplified concepts. So there's no confusion. There's not a whole lot of learning plays, putting people in the right spot to utilize their talents. And and it it worked pretty
0: well. And, and I'm curious, have you had your best roster ever together in one of these windows? No. You... no, yeah, I no. For, yeah.
1: <laughs> for Asia Cup, for the Asia yeah. Cup, we had uh, Yuto Watanabe, which was great. Uh, he sprained his ankle. So he only played in uh, four games, three and a half games. Uh, and then in window four we had Yudai Baba, who's with the Texas G League team now, and Yudai was great. So we had him in window four. Uh, Rui Rui Hachimoto hasn't come in yet, so we'll get we'll get all three of those guys 28 days before the World Cup next
0: year. How fun is that going to be?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited. I really am. It, it, all three it, of those all three of those players fit into the system very well.
0: I was going to say that all of them will not have a hard time adjusting to what you're doing because they're to a certain extent already playing that way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, luckily I've, I've, I've got some friends on the staff at Washington. So like Dean Oliver, the, right. the the king of analytics, he, he and I are talking and trying to, I'm trying to make sure that when Rui does get to my team, the transition is as smooth as possible. So whether that's putting in concepts that Washington runs that he likes or putting him in spots that I know he, he can excel in.
0: Well, and it's what an opportunity for him, because in a way too, he gets to uplevel his role from what he oh, yeah. Washington, right? And you talked about that with some of the players in the B league, changing their yeah. role. And now he gets yeah. to change his role.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And, and not just with Rui, uh, Utah Watanabe is going to become a main focus. Baba, Udai, he, he really wants to make the NBA, but he has to improve his three point shooting. And, and we've been working on that really, really hard over the last couple months. And I'm really excited to see what happens with him. So I'm, I'm, I'm using the national team to help develop these guys to hopefully, you know, extend their careers or make their careers even better. So it's been great. I, and I actually have two players on my national team now who could play major roles, they don't they one plays two minutes a game and the other one plays three minutes a game on his B-league team. That's it. Because it, they have foreigners in in, in front of them.
0: I was gonna say and just reference that for everyone that the, the women's league has no foreigners, right?
1: Yeah the women's league has no foreigners yeah.
0: And the men's league has un, unlimited Seven. or what's the role no there's there's
1: two and then you have uh uh players that are nationalized
0: right Um, there there definitely looks like more than two when I watch games (laughs) yes
1: there definitely is and it's very focused on on those individuals
0: well it's just again Tom what what a journey for you in basketball in general um and I'm sure again you never thought that you'd be the national team head coach and and how rare Uh, that is to be of both teams
1: yeah it's crazy isn't it uh it's it's crazy I I played here for 10 years, and uh, I thought that was going to be it. I did marry a Japanese woman. My kids were born here. So I do have ties in Japan, and I was actually uh, an assistant coach for a women's team for seven years, and then I became head coach. So I I put my time in on the women's side for sure, and it didn't even – think about coaching the men's team after the olympics they asked me to coach the men's team and thought long and hard about it it was t- it was a difficult decision because of the ties that we had it was an emotional time after the olympics but i'm like committed to it and uh it's been a huge challenge but man it's not a lot of people have had this opportunity and i'm grateful and thankful and uh, I'm excited about what we can do. I think we have we have pieces to this puzzle that can make us a tough out.
0: Absolutely, and uh, you know, I, I, we we're all witnessing kind of the the top end product of Japanese basketball. Can you give us yeah. a little bit of impression of what's happening more at the grassroots in terms of development with gra- with Japanese basketball? Because I know there's lots of exciting things going on there too.
1: Yeah. So, basketballs ramping up and becoming starting to become a major sport the b league began five years ago so they they fused two leagues together and and it became the b league and that has it's been a a huge success they there's five or six japanese players making over a million dollars a year the foreigners are making great money the coaches are making great money again I said in the league they have not to
0: stop games. you but coaches are jumping intentionally to the Japanese league
1: yeah yeah it's been crazy um it, it because there's there's good money to live in Japan is 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 fantastic it's safe clean um it's just it's just a fantastic place to live so so the league the top league has really been taking off and some of the issues that i talked about earlier is the national team has to be part of that growth and we need we need better communication between the league and the national team and we've been working on that and i think we're 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 getting that dialed in so the grassroots have have now the b leagues have under category teams so they're really trying to do it right and they're getting the younger guys the the younger kids involved um, basketball is slowly becoming, and three on three is very popular here. I think the Olympics really uh, shed the light on a lot of different aspects of basketball. And with the with the success of the women's team in the in the Olympics, the players uh, have been on TV quite a bit. There's been a spotlight on women's basketball, and they're sold out all the time. Everything uh, their 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 games are all sold out. The men's team we have a huge following we just need to break through and start winning some 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 of these games
0: tom uh, it's been a long time coming for me i've i've worked very hard behind the scenes to get you on and i appreciate all the communication from you and the federation and it has been worth it thank you so much for sharing the game with us
1: thank you chris i i'm i'm sorry it took this long i
0: well, you yeah, jumped teams exactly. that kind of was a good, was a good thing and uh, we can't yeah, say that. it
1: it it, I, it, it created a, a, a like six months of just where am I at what am I doing and <laughs> getting pulled from different directions but thankful that you you had me on i I appreciate your patience and uh i hope i hope this was a fun talk yeah it was fun for me.
0: It was It was tremendous and it was fun. And uh, thank you. And a lot of people will be following Japanese basketball now from afar. So yeah, best of luck. Thank
1: you. thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: Coach, thanks for listening to the Basketball Podcast. We appreciate your ongoing support. Please consider going to basketballimmersion.com and immersionvideos.com to check out all the products we have to offer. We appreciate your support and we look forward to continuing to share the game with you.